to Shot Reverse Shot. I'm Matt Risby. Good evening. And joining me, as always, via the medium of satellite technology, is the Englishman who went up a hill and came down a mountain. It's Ed Davis. How are you doing, sir? Good. I was wondering when we were going to get to that one. It's event- well, it had to happen eventually, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, mainly because of that time I uh, created that mountain. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. Very, very apropos. Uh, I'm good, yeah. Um, I've spent, I spent the first part of this week being very annoyed by Ryan Adams' kind of novelty Taylor Swift cover album, and then the second half of the week being delighted by Run the Jewels' uh, Cat album, like Cat remix album of their second album. So Mm. for me, this has been a a week of highs and lows of kind of novelty albums that no one really asked for. Mm. I'm kind of like a granddad wandering into a lot of these situations. Like I saw that Ryan Adams thing going around, and I, I just kind of clicked download on the old Apple Music and I don't know why I did that because I don't. I'd never heard the Taylor Swift 1989 album, <laughs> so I don't. I don't know what it's supposed to sound like. For all intents and purposes, I could just believe fully that that's his new record. Mm. But I saw that Father John Misty had kind of done a kind of Lou Reed version of the Ryan Adams version of the Taylor Swift version. That that was probably. I think that's maybe my favourite version because mm. it's just this weird version that mixes the Ryan Adams one, but also has some very clear nods to the Velvet Underground's kind of delivery and uh, overall aesthetic. Mm. He's gone Taylor Swift Inception, uh, <laughs> is kind of what he's done. I feel like I must apologise to our dear listeners. There not being an episode last week, no scheduling, scheduling conflicts or anything like that, just just kind of genuine real life got in the way. But it's okay now because I quit my job. <laughs> and I've left my wife and I'm free to podcast. And kind of missing last week meant we missed the Emmys. What was the kind of big uh, winners and losers from, from that night? Big winners probably be Game of Thrones, which mm-hmm. uh, won the most Emmys in a single year that any show has ever managed. I think it won 12 and the previous record was nine. But that wasn't that surprising because it went to the night having already won eight Emmys from the technical Emmys. Mm-hmm. So when it came out that they so they only really needed to win two and they won I think four or five on the night, um, which took them all the way all the way that they needed to go, um, and then uh, the Daily Show won a couple you know kind of as a, a valedictory thing for uh, John Stewart leaving, which was very nice. Uh, John Hamm finally won his Emmy for Best Actor at his last well not his last go round because obviously he's not retiring he's uh, going to keep acting but his the last chance for him to win it as Don Draper, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which was a uh, very well deserved. Even though I think a, the, a lot of people have said this, the problem with the Emmys this year was that the right people won, but often for the wrong seasons. Like if Game of Thrones won for season three, that would have been great. But season five was, I think, pretty much universally agreed to be its most uh, spotty season, and mm-hmm. really not. It was kind of a a come down from the previous two years. And although John Hamm was still really great on Mad Men, Don Draper wasn't as kind of important a character in the last season as some of the other characters. So uh, even though I was happy to see him win, I also just kind of sat there and thought, I really wish Elizabeth Moss had won. <laughs> I think she she was as overdue as anyone. Mm. Yeah, it would have been weird if she'd have won Best Actor, though. Well, yeah, but, you know, like if Orange is the New Black is drama now, then I don't see why she can't also be an actor. Mm. But in the, in the in the program, she kind of like transcends those gender lines. Possibly mm. they should have uh, kind of mirrored that by kind of uh, having a crossover. Amy Schumer won, didn't she? Which yes. is uh, all good. I like yeah, that. That was, that was a, a a very nice surprise. Uh, I don't think she didn't seem to be. It's not that people thought she, that she wasn't going to win, but she didn't seem to be the favorite in that category, which was quite a tough one. Mm-hmm. I also thought that Adam Sand uh, Adam Sandler. Andy Samberg, the other one, from Hotel Transylvania. <laughs> yeah, I thought he did a really, really good job of hosting. I think that he had some jokes that had a bit of bite to them, possibly because they were written by the Comedy Bang Bang writers who had, who I think probably had a bit more of a point of view than most Emmy writing teams do. Mm-hmm. And they also had, you know, these kind of very silly bits and very goofy bits, which I think worked. But mainly, I think the thing that was really good is they just kept it going and it was a... 
award show that was scheduled to be three hours long and it ended at three hours. Wow. I thought you were going to say they brought it in at a brief 80 minutes. <laughs> that's, never, that's never happened, has it? They come in under time. No, except in the days when they weren't televised, when it was just like a meal. Mm. And they were just kind of like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll just announce all of them in a long list and then we can all get to drinking. Mm. I, I long for those days where, like, you know, George Clooney would be called up to accept his kind of Oscar or whatever, but he's got a kind of white prawn cocktail off his face first and then <laughs> just kind of grab it and then have a martini. I think everyone would be much happier and our lives would be richer for that. In film news this week, kind of the thing that kind of stuck out to me is that um, they really are going ahead with a Prometheus sequel, which is mm. something that I don't know who ordered that, but it's got a title. It's not Prometheus 2, it's Alien, colon, Paradise Lost. Just to uh, annoy future generations who don't know in what order to watch things. Mm, yeah. Can the Paradise Lost subtitle be applied to any more films? <laughs> 23 Jump Street. Paradise Lost, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, sure. Go for that one. Uh, Hangover Part 4. Yeah, it would probably be apt to kind of feel like I was kind of descending into some kind of hell uh, watching <laughs> par- uh, that. You know, is Ridley Scott the only person who wants to make this film? Uh, I think so. I mean, it, it did... The first one did pretty well internationally, so I'm sure that the studio were probably keen to make more, but uh, in terms of you know people who don't have a financial stake in it, mm. uh, I think that and I'm like I know he has a financial stake in that it will be a paycheck for him, but mm. you know he could make other films. He doesn't yeah. have to kind of after abandoning the Alien franchise for so long, he doesn't need to kind of throw himself back into it so fully. Mm. I wish he'd do like a Black Rain reboot or something. Uh, <laughs> He's going to make fourteen ninety three. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Paradise uh, Lost. Yeah, <laughs> Paradise Refound. Um, yeah, and we're we're not going to kind of spend a lot of time on news this week because uh, we've got a lot to get through in our in our main show. But the last thing I'm going to note, which is like, I mean, I don't believe in such things and kind of superstition, etc., uh, etc. Et but I genuinely think that the Crow franchise might be cursed. I mean, mm. famously, Brandon Lee uh, was kind of sadly killed on the set in a kind of accident uh, during that. And there's been kind of many other mishaps that have affected that whole kind of franchise, really. And they were kind of trying to reboot it for years and then it's failed every single time. And they finally found a home for it. And that studio where the home is has just gone bankrupt and the director's left. Um, Should they put a bullet in this? Uh, Really, no pun intended there. And (laughs) that was a really poor choice of words. Um, uh, That aside, um, (laughs) I do... Yeah, it seems like such a weird franchise to be continuing with because it seems like in the same way that there are, it it baffles me that there are so many Hellraiser sequels. It Mm. seems like a franchise whose time has passed, like that series was really at its peak for a single film and then it, you know, continued on for a few years with different actors and then they stopped making them. And I don't feel like there's a huge amount of residual affection for it amongst people who watched the original film. And I also don't think it has a huge amount of name recognition amongst people who didn't watch the first film when it was in cinemas, except for people who were like, yeah, that's that film where that guy died. So it's just Mm. kind of got this morbid curiosity. It doesn't, it's not something that, you know, you feel needs to get a new version. Yeah. And like, really all it was good for at the time was giving people a quick, easy Halloween costume. Mm. <laughs> you know, just a bit of bit of makeup, bit of uh, face paint, and you were you were hot to trot, as it were. Anyway, all that's uh, in the past. We're not going to see it because it's probably never going to get made. But how about some films we are going to see? This is the time of year where we like to do our annual kind of preview of the autumn winter uh, schedule, films and television shows. Uh, we do a, a preview show at the start of the year, but kind of things change, release dates shift. Foxcatcher, is that out yet, Ed? Just to kind of double check. But yeah, we've had some films that have been booted from the reschedule and some films that have been moved up and an awful lot that we just didn't know about then. So we're going to kind of hit you with some. Now, what's the... Uh, uh, there's a Star Wars film in, out, isn't there? I like to think it is the new Donald Gleeson movie. Yeah, yeah. I've actually realised that, like, I've actually found out this week how to say his name. Do you know? Do you want to know how to pronounce his name? Is it Domnal? No, it's Donal. Donal. Okay. Yeah, exactly like Donal Logue. Right. Uh, but but spelt with, you know, an M and an H for kind of scrabble cheating reasons, possibly. 
but yeah uh, so that's out we've done a whole episode of that so we'll kind of uh, skim over that what other kind of big kind of winter blockbusters are there because winter is now a blockbuster kind of season fully now isn't it yeah we're we're that's a step closer to all-round blockbuster season i think really september is the only month that doesn't ha- that hasn't been staked out for it although hotel transylvania 2 just opened to nearly 50 million so we're getting close to it um wow. yeah the the next kind of big one to come out is coming out next week and it's uh, ridley scott's the martian speaking of ridley scott mm-hmm. which is a film that has uh had a few reviews so far not a huge number have come out but you know people have said that it's looking like it's going to be a really good film they say it's you know it, it delivers on the action and most interestingly to me it's actually funny in the same mm-hmm. way that the book is quite funny and that was always my main concern is Ridley Scott not exactly known for his his uh, joviality in his films so I was worried that that wouldn't transfer over but it looks like it has and so I'm, I'm very excited to see if this will be the the Ridley Scott film that I like mm, and it's... long break <laughs> It's got the kind of last together in the same film, Kristen Wiig and Sean Bean. Yeah, and also in the same film, Jessica Chastain and Donald Glover. <laughs> yeah, I hope. I hope, like you know, you said that um, Ridley Scott's kind of trying to do something funny here. I hope that Kristen Wiig and Donald Glover are in a separate film that's within <laughs> within The Martian, um, and it's kind of just like a little side comedy, like. The film within a film in Trainwreck, where it's Daniel Radcliffe hanging out with Marissa Tomei. Tomei with dogs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd kill to see that. I think it'd be great. You've got the a Bond film as well, haven't we? Which is kind of notable for being Sam Mendes and probably Daniel Craig's last uh, go around. It looks that way, yeah, because I think this was the last one that uh, Sam Mendes was signed up for. He signed. I think he only really wanted to do one, but then that one made a billion dollars, so... They probably uh, just drove a dump truck full of money to his uh, house and said, hey, why didn't you just do this again? Mm. But yeah, it definitely feels like the last one, the way they're setting up and the kind of grandeur of it all and the fact that they're in some ways just repeating the theme of Skyfall about him being kind of old. It's, you know, that we'll see how that plays out. But if they were already saying that he was old and outdated in the last film, it doesn't seem like they have plans to keep him going for too long. Mm. They should replace old Bond with a Bond that is, uh, how we say, more street. Mm. Uh, someone like Idris Elba, if he's not too street. No, yeah. I think that there are plenty of actors I would like to see take over. I mean, I don't want to get rid of Daniel Craig because I do like him. I think he, he's good in the role, but he's been playing it for 10 years now, pretty much, or nine years since Casino Royal came out. And I think as we saw with Roger Moore, if you hang out a little too long, then you really wear out your welcome. Mm, I think Elizabeth Moss should play Bond. <laughs> if she's in the business of uh, of kind of uh, breaking glass ceilings, fuck it, let's go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think she should just play every role. Mm, I think that would be a good world that we live in. We've also got, in just to kind of wrap up the kind of blockbusters, because we'll get them out of the way quickly, the Hunger Games comes to a conclusion. Yeah, which I, um, I'm excited to see how that turns out. I do like the Hunger Games films, um... I think that the last Hunger Games book was really kind of messy and all over the place, um, but I kind of hope that this creative team can focus it down for a satisfying finale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which has been broken into two films for money reasons. Yeah. Um, I felt like the last film was a bit of a drag. That's That one is kind of, I think, become the poster child for it being a bad reason to split, split a film up in half. Mm. Uh, although it looks like the Divergent films are going to suffer from it even more because they've split their last one into two films and no one liked the second one. So yeah, I think they're going to suffer from real diminishing returns if they have to go through with releasing another two films in this series that people are getting less and less interested in. Mm, could be another Percy Jackson um, oh, God. Yeah, that no one wants to see. Uh, what else have we got kind of coming imminently, Ed? Imminently, we've got, got The Walk, the mm. Robert Zemeckis-directed remake essentially of man on wire i mean it's not i don't think it's, it can be technically a remake in that it's a real life story so unless he's taken that as his direct source i don't think it's a remake but it feels that way mm-hmm. um based on the, the images that have been released it seems to have a similar tone although i was discussing this today actually that uh it seems like instead of doing what the the documentary man on wire did which is focus on philippe uh, petit and make it kind of a character study this one seems to be focusing more on the high stacks aspect, which makes a lot more sense. But um, the early word suggests that 
that makes it less of an involving story and that it's mainly there to highlight how uh, vertiginous IMAX 3D is. Mm. Yeah, it's never good when a film is, is its kind of primary uh, raison d'etre is to kind of display new technology. Uh, for the same director, see also The Polar Express, mm. which is yeah, yeah not an uh, engaging human experience. No, although I, I, I did quite enjoy Flight, so I think that uh, his stepping back into live action seems like the right direction, and uh, I do like the fact that he's cast uh, Ben Schwartz in it. And just the the fact that Ben Swartz is in everything, so I'm always happy to see him doing stuff. Mm, so mate, hopefully it's like the Donald Glover Christian Wiggy's kind of parachuted a comedy into the middle <laughs> of the walk. What else is ending the summer season? Uh, we have the long-delayed Pan, directed mm. by Joe Wright, which comes leaden with contro- controversy over the fact that he's cast Rooney Mara as a Native American, which is a very bad choice, as we saw with the Lone Ranger and like no matter how many justifications you try to come up with it, it still is, you know, whitewashing a character who has always been Native American in the story. Mm. But I'm trying not to prejudge it because I do like Joe Wright. I did think that he did something really interesting with Anna Karenina and I thought that Hannah was a really good, fun and interesting offbeat action movie. And he is someone with a kind of a terrific visual sense. So I'm hoping that he at least makes an interesting film, even if uh, based on what I've seen so far, it looks like a disaster waiting to happen. Mm. And Garrett Hedlund as young Captain Hook, as much as I love Garrett Hedlund, he looks slightly out of place in that film. Yeah, he does. Like No one looks entirely comfortable in that film. Mm, apart but from it, Hugh, Hugh Jackman looks a little too comfortable. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah he's, uh, he seems to be really throwing himself into it. And, you know, God bless him for his, uh, his equal parts commitment to playing whatever that character is meant to be and Wolverine. You know, he mm. brings, he puts his all into everything he does, but uh, sometimes less is more. Yeah, absolutely. Steve Jobs, that not the man, uh, obviously, because he's perished, but there seems to be another film coming out about him, uh, which some might say is uh, seems a little opportunistic. But then when the people behind it are Danny Boyle and Aaron Sorkin, there's got to be something about it. Yeah, and also when you cast Michael Fassbender, who is a great actor who looks, let's say, not very much... Like mm-hmm. Steve Jobs, he's a um, Caucasian. He's a Caucasian male. Yeah, um, he's close enough. That's good enough. Yeah, um, yeah. It's not. It's not the sort of thing where you can kind of. No one's asking when there's going to be a black Steve Jobs. No. Although, you know that could be interesting, <laughs> if mm. only for the internet comments. Um, I think um, Idris Elba's too street for that role. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so and also it's got some interesting choices in terms of things like casting uh, Seth Rogen as Steve Wozniak, who I think is. An act he has an actor seems like he could bring something to that role. Michael Stuhlbarg's in it. Kate Winslet seems to be there in what looks like a thankless role, as most uh, roles for women tend to be in Hollywood biopics about great important men who change the world. But you know, the the the, the word on it so far is that it's pretty good, but not great. Mm. Which is kind of what I thought where it was going to be as soon as it was announced that David Fincher wasn't directing it. Mm. Um, I like Danny Boyle, but I don't think that his he w- he doesn't have the kind of strong authorial voice that you could use to mitigate all of Aaron Sorkin's wordiness. Mm. I've just thought of uh, a witty soundbite to encapsulate what you just said, which is behind every great man is a great woman in a terrible supporting role. <laughs> that seems to be the way that Hollywood films present it. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. Uh, also, in a few weeks' time, we have Crimson Peak, the new Guillermo del Toro film. Mm, which I can't stop thinking about as being set on a submarine uh, yeah. because of Crimson Tide. I'm still not sold on Crimson Peak, but then I have my fingers burnt with Pacific Rim, which sure. I know you liked, but I uh, I couldn't stand. And I have given a second swing of the bat, but I came up empty. Yeah, I did like Pacific Rim. I don't think it's a great film, but I do think it's fun. But the the early word on Crimson Peak is it just played at Fantastic Fest and no one's been allowed to write any full reviews because they're embargoed, but the kind of brief synopses that people put on Twitter have basically said, yeah, this is really good. Mm. So, and the, the, a lot of them say the production design is great, which obviously you would expect because it's a game with a Toro film, but the, the general sense is also that the performances are really, really strong as well. Mm. Is it rated R or is it kind of PG-13, do we know? I believe it's rated R. Oh, nice. I think that's kind of when you can give Del Toro his kind of freest reign to 
to misbehave. And I'd much rather see that than, you know, when is it kind of like a giant squid punching a robot in the face? <laughs> um, didn't enjoy that at all. Do you think that that's going to cross over and be a kind of a, a kind of a mainstream hit, or is it kind of too weird? I think it might be too weird just because he's described it as being the first film that kind of melds his American and his Spanish sensibilities, and that it feels like a English language version of the the kind of stuff he does, like Devil's Backbone and Kronos and things like that. Mm. And that those films, uh, great as they are, were not great money makers, but. Hopefully, you know, casting recognisable names in it and the uh, great trailers that have come out will entice enough people. And it does have a release just before Halloween. So, like, hopefully it will be able to latch onto a horror audience. Mm. Speaking of uh, Halloween and horror or audiences, I've caught wind of a little film which looks uh, pretty interesting. It's a film called The Final Girls. Have you seen anything about that? Uh, I've heard people talk about it and the, it sounds very fun. Mm. It's kind of like uh, a hyper-reflexive meta-comedy based on the kind of campfire slasher, uh, kind of Friday the 13th genre, in which people who uh, enjoy these kind of slasher films accidentally find themselves inside one mm. uh, through kind of contrivances of plot, etc., etc., and some kind of magic MacGuffin. But the trailer kind of makes it look very much in the tone of Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, which is a film we very much enjoyed. Yeah, and um, it does have a... A very, very good cast. It's got uh, Taysa Farmiga, it's got Malin Ackerman, Adam Devine, Thomas Middleditch, who's uh, fantastic in Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. uh, Alia Shawkat. Yeah, just this, like, just a selection of really good, funny comedy people. Yeah. And uh, the, their past work makes me very hopeful about what they can do with that material. Mm. But like all these kind of recommendations, listeners, um, if they are crap, then don't hold us responsible. Yeah. any of it and we'll to be honest we'll probably just go back and edit these out once yeah. the films have been released it's Hollywood's fault yeah the uh, the director's cut of this episode will be like five minutes long <laughs> yeah it was just us uh, we'll just play the Star Wars theme over it if that turns out to be good I've noticed there's a couple of films kind of coming out kind of more towards the Oscar-y uh, window which seem to kind of uh, partner each other very well they're both about whistleblowers we've got Oliver Stone Snowden uh, mm. about Edward Snowden yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and we've got uh, Thomas McCarthy, show favourite, uh, although patchy as hell uh, of late. He's <laughs> uh, got a film called Spotlight out, which is about something quite similar with Michael Keaton, Mark Ruffalo, and Rachel McAdams. Yeah, that one played at at uh, Toronto recently, and uh, people said, I think it was David Ehrlich said on Twitter that uh, it's the kind of the greatest rebound uh, in quality-wise from The Cobbler. You could possibly imagine, you know, it's a film about uh, investigating the sexual abuse scandal in Boston surrounding Catholic priests, and it's a very serious film, and it's been getting uh, very favourable comparisons to All President's Men, which is obviously very high praise, and uh, makes me very, very excited, because uh, I've liked most of Thomas McCarthy's films, and uh, I was worried that he had uh, something had been broken by having to make an Adam Sandler movie. Mm. But hopefully, look, it looks like that uh, has not been the case. Because my girl is right that like he kind of got fired from Game of Thrones and then did the Cobbler. Is that was that his his career path? Did he get Not, fired from Game of Thrones or did he just have his stuff redone? He had his stuff redone. Like he shot the pilot and they said that that it wasn't quite right, so they they retooled it because they it didn't quite match what they wanted. But um, he was still credited as a producer early on in the show because he made a lot of the. A lot of very key casting decisions and stuff. So mm. he probably he probably still gets royalties from it. Well, that's a good position to be in. But yeah, I mean, he's always good value when he's kind of working on films, and his films don't star Adam Sandler. Mm. Yeah, I am. I'm very very excited for that one. I'm also not as excited, but I'm interested in the movie uh, Truth, which stars Robert Redford, and is was about a a, a kind of scandal around uh, the newsman Dan Rather, I believe, who was basically presented a uh, program where they said that or they they released information about George W Bush's uh, military record which turned out not to be true and it sounds like it could be an interesting kind of insidery as in like the movie insider <laughs> the Michael Mann film story so i'm there's a lot of stuff in there that i kind of like but at the same time now when i hear like Robert, that Robert Redford is involved in a film it conjures up kind of kind of worthiness and uh, kind of 
being a bit boring, except all is lost, which was really good. But mm. for the most part, he doesn't really seem to push himself that much these days. Well, if you watch the trailer for Truth, it is very serious oh, and it? very kind of uh, austere and uh, kind of Oscar baity. Although I think they could have negated all of that just by calling the film Would You Rather? <laughs> Which would have, you know, uh, any kind of portentousness, they could have just been swept aside uh, by having a pun title which wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense, but hey, it would have stopped people mocking it like we are. Yeah. On a similar tip, moving through the uh, the Oscar uh, contenders, a film that looks very interesting is uh, Trumbo, with Brian Cranston playing uh, Dalton Trumbo. If you kind of don't know who he is, he was a, a blacklisted Hollywood writer who, whilst on the blacklist for kind of alleged communist sympathies, happened to win two Oscars somehow, <laughs> uh, which is pretty kind of baller. But Brian Cranston's kind of been waiting for a, a big... Uh, crossover film off the back of Breaking Bad. He's not really been forcing it, been happy to take a lot of kind of supporting roles and stuff. Um, but this seems to be his chance to shine on the kind of the biggest stage possible. Uh, Helen Mirren's in support because behind every great man <laughs> is a woman in a lousy supporting role. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's also the, it's a film by Jay Roach who has this weird bifurcated career where in his uh, his uh, feature film work, it's, you know, you meet the parents and things like that. It's and Austin of... Powers, I think he did the first Austin Powers. Yes, so he's someone who makes these kind of big, broad studio comedies. And then when he works on HBO, it's, you know, recount and uh, game change and things like that. So he, he has this weird mix where, on the one hand, he makes these very politically conscious and intelligent dramas. And on the other hand, kind of big comedies. So it's it's interesting to see him applying his HBO approach to uh, a feature film. Although... The weird thing with the Trumbo trailer is when it starts and it's him talking to Louis C.K., I kind of start thinking, this is a weird sketch. (laughs) (laughs) This is a really niche sketch. Um, Yeah. And speaking of um, directors flip-flopping from kind of broad comedy to uh, kind of weighty drama, I was kind of baffled to find out that the film that's uh, trailer dropped this week, The Big Short, which looks like... uh, a very kind of uh, star-laden, Oscar-worthy film, which has uh, got Bradley Pitt, uh, Ryan Gosling, Christian Bale, Steve Carell, uh, about the kind of financial crisis. looks very similar to the film Margin Call, which came out a few years ago, which is excellent. But it's directed by Adam McKay, who directed Anchorman, which yeah. seems like, it seems like a very curious proposition. It does. And like there is kind of a slight precedence for it in that he ended the other guys with that basically that PowerPoint presentation explaining about the financial crisis mm-hmm. where, you know, you've watched this kind of very silly uh, action comedy where The Rock and Samuel Jackson jumped to their death off a building and Will Ferrell was an accidental pimp. And then at the end, it's like this very righteously angry stuff about uh, financial... Ponzi schemes and stuff, yeah. Yeah. So, so it feels like, okay, he clearly, this is clearly something he was very passionate about and he didn't quite know how to work it into... Uh, into his work so it's it's interesting to see that he's moved into actually directing a, a dramatic film about that not sure if it will be as heavy on improv as his other stuff mm. and i'm curious like just looking at the trailer for a film that's set during a period of time which was only about 10 years ago um they've gone very heavy on the wigs right <laughs> um which is you know it's almost like uh american hustle uh yeah. standard of wiggery everyone has got some kind of preposterous wig on and everyone's just running around with 120 gig iPods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Game Boy Colors, uh, <laughs> PlayStation 2s, the lot. Yeah, but that that does look like quite an odd film. And it does look like a kind of a retread of uh, Margin Call, which is quite an underrated film, I feel. Yeah, that that's a, it'll be interesting to see how he uh, traverses that, if that's kind of going to be his, his uh, future direction. You know, he'll just continue to produce comedies and then direct kind of serious weighty dramas but uh yeah it's that's one of those ones when as soon as his name came up at the end of the trailer i was like oh okay then it's like when uh match point came out it's like a very serious dark thriller and then directed by woody allen in terms of kind of big worthy biopics we've got the hank williams biopic with uh, tom hiddleston which is instantly i'm into uh because i like tom hiddleston and i like hank williams but um early word has, has perhaps been patchy Hmm. which uh, yeah. isn't encouraging. It, it may be the case that they have the perfect actor, because if you look at pictures of the two of them, the uh, resemblance is eerie. 
Mm. Like you wouldn't think that Tom Hiddleston could play uh, Hank Williams, but then as soon as they put a picture next to him, you go, "Oh, actually, yeah, he looks a lot like him." But at the same time, you know, music biopic is not a uh, it's not a drama that lends itself to greatness. You know, there's very few examples of ones that really break the form and make it interesting. Mm, I'm I'm racking my brains. Like Tender Mercies, possibly. Uh, that even, that's not even not about a real person. Yeah, I know. But, like, it kind of feels like it is. <laughs> uh, I oh. thought it was one of those kind of, like, Citizen Kane, William Randolph Hearst type things. But is that not the case? Uh, it could very well be. I'm not sure. All I know about Tender Mercies is that it's a really, really great film. So great that I don't know if I've seen Crazy Heart or not. Or if I just <laughs> think I have because I've watched Tender Mercies. Yeah, Crazy Heart is the uh, the uh, the pound shop version. Of, uh, of Tender Mercies. Um, but yeah, we'll kind of keep an eye out on that. But, you know, he could be a front runner. Kate uh, Blanchett's got her obligatory Oscar film uh, in the works. Uh, Carol, it's called, which is uh, the least interesting title of all the films we're going to talk about. It sounds like it's about a dinner lady or something, <laughs> which is uh, apparently not the case. It's a uh, austere drama uh, directed by Todd Haynes. Who would have thought? Mm, but th- I am... I am excited about that one because it's based on a Trisha Highsmith novel. Who's a you know great writer who, you know, the talented Mr. Ripley, Stranger on a Train, and things like that. But uh, and the response to it so far has been nothing short of rapturous from a lot of places. Uh, talking about her and her work with Rooney Mara in that film. Talk about them both having being nominated for Best Actress because that's the only way to really do it. They're both kind of really central to the story. And you know, Todd Haynes hasn't had a film out since. Uh, I'm Not There, which was 2007 or 2008. Mm. Uh, he obviously did Mildred, P- Mildred Pierce in that time, but, you know, he's he's been away for quite a while. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's always kind of good value, I guess, mm. Mr. Haynes. Kind of knows his onions. Joy is another film. If you're going to talk about Joy and Carol uh, as the dinner ladies of uh, the Oscar <laughs> season... We kind of mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, uh, David O. Russell's uh, film. He's kind of uh, pushed the boat out with his casting once again and uh, gone for the unusual trio of Jennifer Lawrence, Bradley Cooper and Robert De Niro because it's about time those guys work together again. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder if his Rolodex is incredibly limited. <laughs> it's just a, it's just a post-it note. It's not a <laughs> Rolodex. Like, he's, 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 he's left no imagination, that guy. Yeah, just every, every script he gets handed or everything he writes it's just the first note is Jennifer Lawrence question mark mm. Steve yeah. Jobs uh, can can Jennifer Lawrence play that well if Elizabeth Moss can Jennifer <laughs> Lawrence can uh, what do we know about Joy uh, that it's a based on a real life story of a woman who I believe was kind of pretty much destitute you know sort of a single mother had really nothing going for her who built a a kind of a commercial empire and became the head, the kind of matriarch of this huge family as a result of it. Although mainly from the trailer, you see her posing with the shotgun. So I hope that there's more to it than that. They're just trying to think of a really cliche way, cliched way of saying this girl is tough. This mm. is a tough female character, but that's, that's kind of the thing. It sounds very interesting. Although like a lot of people have said, it's very weird that they've cast uh, Jennifer Lawrence, who is in her sort of early twenties as a woman who, at the start of the story, should really be in a mid-30s. But he already did that with American Hustle, so why shouldn't he just continue? Mm, she can play anything. She's very talented. Yeah, she's a, she's a great actress. It's just, yeah, it just seems very odd. Mm, yeah, she can do it all. On a kind of the flip side of all this kind of Oscar talk, there's a film which I was very excited about. Until I mean, I do say a lot in this with Be Wary of Trailers, um, and I uh, kind of had kind of my fingers burnt by this one. A film we were looking forward to at the start of the year was called Sisters. Mm. Uh, it's uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, and the trailer does not look good. No, it doesn't. There's there's a handful of jokes in there, and you think that you know they can probably sell it and it'll be okay, but it does just look a bit terrible, uh, mm. which is a real shame, like a yeah. real baby mama kind of situation. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I love that you say baby mama situation as if there is some kind of like flashing light on an alarm board in some kind of central <laughs> panic room somewhere uh, that there's a promising film that's about to go south. But yeah, it, I don't know whether because of comedy and especially kind of R-rated comedy, you can't really kind of tell from the trailers a lot of the time, but you kind of hope they'd put some of the jokes in. Yeah, like there's there's got to be at least some things that you think, yeah, we could probably put that in, like we can just cut around the swearing. Even if it's kind of awkward, you know, maybe they could at least come up with some way of making it 
look good. Um, and, you know, the trailers can be deceiving. They can make uh, terrible films look good. Uh, they can occasionally make good films look terrible. But there's nothing in the trailer that suggests that this is going to be kind of really great. Mm, which is a real shame because God love those two. They have got kind of awesome chemistry and can seemingly do no wrong except when they're in a film together. Yeah, it's, it is very much one of those cases where you just see people who are tremendous, like just tremendous fonts of comedy in pretty much any situation, have them in a TV show, have them presenting awards together, or just being, you know, in the world, <laughs> and they'll be great. But for some reason, Hollywood, and this this kind of goes back to what we were talking about, peak TV, how, like, uh, comedy on television is kind of very bold and daring and tries to do really interesting things, and then comedy and film just doesn't do anything as nearly as good and it kind of feels like this might be the uh, one of the ultimate examples of that mm. um again if this film turns out to be amazing like you know we'll cut this out but i kind of i'm really hoping it will be good but it, it doesn't look like it from the trailer a, fo- a film that i literally had no idea about until earlier today and it's a film that's got the coolest title and the coolest premise and the coolest lead which makes me want to see it instantly. It's a film called Bone Tomahawk, for one. It stars Kurt Russell in a western about a man hunting cannibals. That that sounds incredible. I hadn't heard of that. Mm. So, like, there was a lot of pictures earlier in the year of him kind of ready to do Hateful Eight or whatever, and he had this kind of huge, elaborate moustache. But he seems to have kept the exact same moustache for Bone Tomahawk. It's almost like he got, the, you know, it's a twofer. They were like, well, you've got the moustache anyway, you may as well do this one. Do you think it was like a Roger Corman situation? It's like we've got we've got this moustache for another three weeks. Can we throw a film around it? Yeah, can we uh, can we make a film called Bone Tomahawk in forty eight hours? Boris Karloff owes me a day's work. Uh, we'll shoehorn him, shoehorn him into that. But yeah, I, I don't know whether that's going to kind of be absorbed by Hateful Eight or whether it can kind of sneak out and be kind of like a punchy genre piece. I don't really know who's directing it. But like I said, I stopped listening. Uh, Bone Tomahawk. Kurt Russell and Cannibals, but yeah, the Hateful Eight is is gonna kind of uh, uh, be a, kind of a big hitter, I guess. It technically comes out this year, and I also think it's curious that Kurt Russell's last two films have been Hateful Eight and Furious Seven, and yeah. I think he, he must be a bit upset that he's probably not going to be cast in Sinister Six, <laughs> or he's not got he's not lined up like Number Nine Dream or something like a adaptation of the David Mitchell book. Hmm. Yeah. It could just it could just go on indefinitely. But, I think yeah. he's working up to a gritty remake of 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> yeah, the origin story. Disney are doing them. Paradise Lost. Yeah. <laughs> 101 Dalmatians, Paradise Lost. Love that. Uh, what is, like, your thoughts on that Tarantino film that they have now? I'm very, very excited about it. I, was a, I really loved Django Unchained, even though there were elements of it, namely whenever Tarantino was on screen that that didn't work for me. I thought that it was, it was really great. I thought that, uh, I think that that cast is fantastic. And I love the idea of shooting a big 70 millimeter screen, uh, uh, shooting on 70 millimeter and having this really kind of wide canvas and then setting the film seemingly entirely in one space uh, or, or just kind of having a, like a chamber piece where all these people are stuck in one place and they're all slowly turning on each other. Uh, and it is, he, he has, picked a cast of people who I'm very, very excited to see work together. So, uh, and, and his current run of form, you know, since the whole Grindhouse debacle, he seems to have uh, refocused himself, and uh, I'm very, very excited to see how that one turns out. Mm. Um, another film that's out on Christmas Day, which is the the slot that, um, uh, what's it called, the film we just talked about, I've forgotten the name of it. Hateful Lake. That's the one, is... Uh, the Revenant, which is a new mm. film by uh, Inaratu, uh, he of wildly inconsistent fame, <laughs> um, <laughs> but also kind of eminently watchable uh, most of the time. Um, he's done a film called The Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hardy and Donald Gleeson. And I don't really know what the film's about, but it looks fucking intense. Yeah, if if I my understanding correct is it's based on a real life event where a guy, in this case, the guy being Leonardo DiCaprio. He was kind of like a like a bear trapper or something up in the the wastes of Alaska or somewhere like that. Who uh, is led out and left for death for dead by the people who he was out traveling with, and then he goes and uh, he survives and then seeks revenge. And uh, that is a film. Even though I 
like I I didn't hate Birdman the way that a large portion of the internet did. Actually, it's probably my favorite of Inarito's films because uh, I find his kind of miserabilism so impossible to take. Mm. So to have a film that had kind of like energy and jokes was nice. Um, and even though this seems to be going a bit more in the miserablest way, the the details of the, the production, which basically make it sound like hell on earth, uh, that it sounds like a kind of legendary out of control production of, of on the scale of something like Apocalypse Now or Bonfire of the Vanities or something like that uh, makes it very exciting because those are the kind of productions that can produce great works like Apocalypse Now or terrible things like Bonfire of the Van- <laughs> Vanities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it looked cold uh, yes. from the trailer. There's a lot of uh, it looks. It's kind of like westerny. Uh, mm-hmm. There is there is a bear attack in the trailer. Um, there's a lot of people getting shot in the face, uh, a lot of violence, and a lot of long camera shots. So, as we'd be, you would expect. Yeah, I kind of liked Birdman. In fact, I actually really like, really enjoyed it when I watched it. I mean, I don't know if I want to like be in any desperate hurry to see it again. But I, I liked it. I don't see what I don't really understand what the problem that a lot of people have with it. It just I, seemed that it would seem to be the one best picture that seemed to be people's main major complaint. I think that probably is a big part of it. I think it's the sort of film where. When I'd like, I watched it before there was any awards buzz, and I thought that was really quite refreshing. And mm. then, like as it became apparent that it was going to be like a big contender, I kind of thought this. I don't see why this film, over like a lot of others, is kind of dominating the conversation. Uh, and it kind of, it kind of reminded me a little bit in some ways of American Hustle, which is a film I liked less, but I thought was okay when I saw it, and then I grew to really dislike as it became a force in during award season. And there, that film didn't win anything, and I was fine with that. Mm. But uh, yeah, in the case of Birdman, I think a lot of people went through the same process where watched it, they either liked it or didn't like it, and then wanted to forget about it. But then the grind of award season meant that it was a, it was unavoidable. Mm. Yeah, it's weird that like I heard someone uh, as soon as it won, they were like, "This will be a, a pub quiz question in years to come. It will be considered like as you know, bigger injustices when Crash won Best Picture." And I was like, I, "I'm not quite sure that it's that bad, <laughs> you know. It's good. No. It's good. I like it. Like Edward Norton's great in it. Um, you know, yeah. He, just him he, alone is worth the the price of admission. Yeah, he he. Between that and his performance in uh, in the Grand Budapest Hotel." It was a great year for him showing up in kind of small supporting comedy roles. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Anyway, that was last year. Um, What else is happening this year, Ed? We've got Bridge of Spies, the new Spielberg, which looks like could be okay. Um, I'm excited for it because I'm always excited to see a new Spielberg film and I do like his his work with Tom Hanks in general has been pretty good. It's written by the Coen brothers, which would be more exciting if Unbroken didn't exist. Because mm. that was also written by the the Coen brothers, and that film didn't turn out very well. But uh, I like the kind of Cold War aspect of it, and I do like from what little is of him in the trailer. I do like Paul Rylance's work in it. Or, mm. it, it that's that's a, an actor I'm very excited to see how his career goes between you know being in Wolf Hall and now Bridge of Spies, and then the BFG. Mm. And that's Spielberg as well, isn't it? Yeah, which uh, I'm. Uh, I'm very curious to see the first when the first trailer for that appears. I'll be very curious to see how it turns out. Mm. In terms of actual Christmas films, because we will have some, the kind of front runner from my point of view is The Night Before. Mm. It's called. It's uh, Jonathan Levine who did a film called Fifty Fifty a few years ago, which was pretty good, and he's kind of reunited the cast of that film, Seth Rogen and uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. No, Joseph Gordon Levitt. <laughs> And added Anthony Mackie to the mix. Um, and from what I can ascertain, uh, it's about three guys who always spend Christmas together because one of their parents died and they don't have a family. So they always spend Christmas together. But they're not going to do it anymore because they're getting older and they kind of have got other equipments, kids and jobs and so on and so forth. So they decide to have one last blowout and take a lot of drugs, it looks like. And this kind of has that uh, this is the end type vibe. So I will uh, officially say could go either way. Could be really funny. Could be kind of grueling. Yeah, I think the only thing that separates it from Sisters, which has kind of a similar premise, except instead of it last Christmas together, it's just last big party before we sell the house, mm. is that um, The Night Before has a slightly better trailer. Uh, yes, it, it, it's it certainly may... got better knitwear in it. Yeah, so it does feel like either one of those films could 
go either way uh, and be interesting to see. I do like Jonathan Levine, uh, his his previous work has been interesting and he has kind of cut a very odd path between uh, 50-50 and the whackness and uh, warm oh, bodies. I've, I've not, I saw the whackness, I, I, I didn't know that was him. Yeah, and uh, warm bodies, the uh, zombie romance with Nicholas Holt, which mm. apparently isn't that bad, although I haven't seen it myself. Um, the other Christmas film out this year is a Christmas horror called Krampus. By, yeah, um, that looks awesome. Yeah, by uh, Michael Doherty, who previously directed the incredibly fun Halloween uh, compilation film Trick or Trick or Treat, uh, and also co-wrote a bunch of the X Men films. And is not mm. the guy I was thinking of because uh, one of the guys who directed who wrote the X Men films is a guy called David Hater, who is most famous for voicing uh, Snake. Solid Snake. Solid Snake, yeah, yeah. So I thought, oh, because great Solid Snake's directing a horror film, and I was like, no, it's the other guy. Um, but yeah, I really liked Trick or Treat, and I do like the idea of taking the kind of evil Santa Claus idea of Krampus and uh, turning it into a into a feature horror film. Mm, yeah, yeah, that could be either good or bad. We did, we had a kind of a, a horror Christmas film a couple of years ago, didn't we? Rare Exports was mm. uh, was it, and that kind of was all right, I guess. But this one looks like a lot more fun because it's in English. Yeah, I kind of I can't I can't be dealing with Scandinavian. Uh, nonsense at Christmas. Is there anything else, Ed, that's uh, that's uh, taking up the film schedules uh, towards the end of the year that we need to know about? Good Dinosaur, the second Pixar film of the year, which uh, we're going to do. I think we're going to do a Pixar episode when that comes out, so we'll talk about that more in depth there. But so far, it looks odd. Um, yeah, the mix of super photorealistic backdrops and incredibly kind of cartoony characters is distinctive. I'm not sure how well it will work, but it could be cool. The Danish Girl, the new Tom Hooper movie. Uh, Can't which, wait. Which, you know, <laughs> it's going to be lots of wide-angle lenses. Um, yeah. the, but the, the early word on that is people just basically say it's fine. You know, mm. like, but the same way that The King's Speech was fine and Les Mis was fine, which means that it's going to get nominated for everything. Yeah. Um, the middle-brow blockbuster that that, you know, is inexplicably popular with certain age people but then instantly forgotten by everyone else yeah uh room which is uh not a uh, remake of the tommy weso masterpiece but the new lenny abramson film the the guy who directed uh what uh what richard did and frank uh starring brie larson who's an actress i really like i think she's fantastic about a a young woman who has been held captive in a dungeon for well like in someone's house for uh, the better part of a decade and kind of comes out with her young son in a kind of a fritzily situation and has to kind of adjust to <laughs> Fr- real life. A fritzily situation. <laughs> Great band that. Brilliant. Um, and and that, that, the, the word from that is, has so far been glowing. So I'm very excited to see that. I really liked Frank from last year. And like I say, Brie Larson is just incredible. Uh, and was very, very funny in a train wreck, I thought, mm. um, as well. Uh, and kind of almost perfect casting as... Uh, Amy Schumer's uh, sister, in that you wouldn't think they look alike, but when they're on screen together, you think, yeah, I could, I could see that. Mm. And then anything else? Oh, and the film that, uh, if you had said, asked me at the start of the year, what film am I very excited about? Uh, I probably wouldn't have said Creed, but no. the trailers for that have uh, so far made me think that that could be a really good time. Uh, you know, it, it has a kind of a low, a, a kind of a lot less glossy aesthetic than a lot of the Rocky films and uh, Michael B. Jordan is a uh, fantastic actor who I think could do something really interesting with that story Mm. yes yes so that's your films listeners we're going to kind of hop to the small screen now what have we got coming up on the uh, the full slate Ed well uh, I've mainly just gone for new shows because in terms of returning stuff we just be talking about things that we like already like Brooklyn Nine-Nine which is back as we're Mm -hmm. recording now I believe Uh, so there's, there's lots of stuff returning that I'm looking forward to. But in terms of new things, tomorrow, or today as people are listening to this, uh, the Daily Show with Trevor Noah starts, Ooh. which is something I'm very interested to see how that happens, how that uh, how that unfolds. Because, you know, the Daily Show has become something of an institution now and Jon Stewart stepped away from it because I think it was becoming a bit of a grind and he's allowed Trevor Noah a full year to kind of get to grips with it and to really handle all the build-up to the election. So... He has a a very high-profile job, which I'm hoping he does well at, because what I've seen of him, I like. Not so much his tweets, but everyone writes something stupid online every so often. Uh, and he has like pretty much all of the 
Daily Show writers who wrote for Jon Stewart are still involved. So there's good people there. There's good people who can make, know how to make a good TV show. Uh, and I'm hoping that they can continue to do really good stuff. Uh, Netflix has a lot of good stuff. They've got the Jessica Jones series, which you talked about. Most excitingly for me, the show With Bob and David, which is the Mr. Show revival that technically isn't a Mr. Show revival because of legal reasons, but has Bob Odenkirk and David Cross coming back doing sketches with Scott Ackerman and Paul F. Tompkins and Brian Posehn and John Ennis and, you know, everyone who did Mr. Show. Mm. (laughs) So... Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how that turns out. Yeah. Uh, what is the legal reason HBO? Is that is that the problem? Yeah, basically. HBO owned the rights to Mr. Show, and uh, I don't think Netflix were willing to kind of pay them extra money to use the name. So they've instead of calling it Mr. Show with Bob and David, they've just dropped the Mr. Show and gone with the, the rest of the title. Mm. It's like when a band carries on touring without its original members mm. um, and has to kind of come up with a duff name. But then, yeah. If we've got everyone coming back, it should be good. Mr. Show is great, and what better time to bring back one of the best sketch comedies. Yeah, now the one of the stars is most known for being the lead of a drama. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, what else have we got? Also on Netflix, I've got uh, Master of None, which is the sitcom from Aziz Ansari, where he plays a very lightly fictionalised version of himself. And uh, from what I've heard so far, it sounds like it's kind of his equivalent of Louis in that it's not strictly a sitcom in the same way as a lot of his things is it plays with form and style and it's not strictly linear so it sounds very interesting and also seems to fit in with his his entire kind of persona in that he's someone who you know it does stand up and appears on te- on television but also wrote a kind of sociological book about relationships so he's obviously mm. someone who has kind of a very active mind who's happy to jump around from thing to thing I hope uh, I hope R. Kelly's in it. <laughs> yeah, um, that would if you could get him for a uh, a guest a guest spot, which would then just become, you know, the seventy fifth part of Trapped in the Closet. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd but be very if happy. You're talking about Aziz Ansari's primary preoccupations, R. Kelly's got to be in there somewhere. Yeah, if, if we can finally have R. Kelly and Kanye West in a show together, mm. the, the amount of ego would be uh, overpowering. We've also got um, Ash versus Evil Dead, which uh, looks like it could be fun. The least likely revival of the Evil Dead franchise I think anyone was expecting for them to mm. do a sequel on television. But uh, what has been released so far looks funny, has the tone of the original. And uh, Sam Raimi came back to direct oh. the pilot. So there's a lot of good stuff going into there that may not translate to anything worthwhile. But, you know, at least they, they seem to be setting off on the right foot. Yeah. Yeah, is that it for TV? Two more, I'll just quickly mention Hulu have their miniseries 112263, which is an adaptation of the Stephen King book about a man who goes back in time to stop the Kennedy assassination, which is not a million miles away from the plot of Goodnight Sweetheart, the uh, <laughs> Nicholas Lindhurst comedy from the 90s. But the, uh, the, the adultery comedy, should we call yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, basically. It's a very strange show that lasted a surprisingly long time. It's a time um, time travelling bigamist. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that must have been the the original title. Mm. Or oh, that would have been the title if it had been like a Tom Wolfe novel or something. Mm. Um, but you know, that's I'm not 100 percent sold on the casting because it, they cast James Franco as the lead, and as good as he can be, he's not exactly uh, the fit for the the character as written, but. Or give it the benefit of the doubt, and I'm I'm hopeful that it turns out to be good because the book is you know fantastic. It's one of King's best in in recent years, and then a show which already aired one episode on Amazon last year, but is coming back for a full series, which is uh, The Man in the High Castle, the adaptation of Philip K. Dick book about an alternate reality in which the Nazis and the Japanese won World War Two. The pilot was very atmospheric and uh, very disturbing in places in the way in which it just basically created this image of a world in which uh, the idea of uh, just kind of mass killing on a daily basis is incredibly normal and I'm not sure how well they can sustain the story because the story didn't really sustain the novel Uh, the novel kind of falls apart in the last third but it's a great setting and the the atmosphere of the pilot has me very very hopeful that will turn out to be be a good show Speaking of Amazon pilots that were out last year that have gone to series, uh, Red Oaks is coming. 
Uh, I'm not sure it's this year. It might be early next year, but I'd definitely recommend that off the strength of the pilot that came out last year. Basically, it's Caddyshack, but set in the 80s and a TV series with Craig Roberts from Submarine, uh, Richard Kind and Paul Reiser. So yes. pretty goddamn amazing. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty fantastic cast. And uh, I, I'm very... I'm, I think Amazon are the of the streaming services, they're the ones that I'm the most interested in just because I find their model of releasing the pilot and essentially deciding it based on the interest of people online uh, is kind of a fascinating way of uh, democratising the process, which uh, has produced some great work so far. Uh, I'm not sure if that's because they let people judge it beforehand or if they've just had uh, luck with the people they've worked with, but it's uh, it's kind of kind of cool the way they do it. Hmm. Absolutely. So that's uh, what we've got to recommend uh, for the coming months. Let's do Shot Reverse Shot Recommends. I'm going to pick something uh, that we were talking about um, just before we went on air. Uh, It's a film that's just been added to Netflix uh, in the UK, if you're uh, a subscriber. Uh, It's a film called Flesh and Bone, uh, which no one else appears to have seen. It's not the Paul Verhoeven one. It is uh, actually a kind of film directed by Steve Clovis, who is most uh, widely known as the person who wrote Wonder Boys and the Fabulous Baker Boys, but also, weirdly, was asked to do all the Harry Potter adaptations. Um, but it's like a really kind of noirish, kind of western-tinged little thriller with Dennis Quaid, Meg Ryan, James Kahn, and a very young Gwyneth Paltrow. And I saw it pop up on my Netflix feed today, and I was like, hot diggity, that's a great movie, and everyone should see it. I won't tell you any more about what it's about, because it's kind of like one of them films that's like a bit kind of like best entered cold as it were. Seek it out. What you got, Ed? Uh, I have two recommendations. One, a film that is is very, very good, and one, a film that transcends all notions of quality. The film that transcends all notions of quality is a film called Fateful Findings, directed by architect slash filmmaker Neil Breen, who uh, is a guy who's been around for a while now. He's, he's, started, he's been making films since 2005, but Fateful Findings, I think, is the film that will guarantee him kind of canonization in the uh, the echelons of terrible, terrible filmmakers. It is it has been described by uh, Elliot Kalin, the former head writer of The Daily Show and co-host of the Flophouse podcast, as what would the room would be like if Tommy Wiseau didn't know how to make films. It is a baffling film narratively and formally. It is the sort of thing that you would expect someone to make if they had never seen a film before and you handed them a camera. <laughs> uh, but also if they'd never met a human and they you know it's just the the acting is terrible the editing is like super sleepy like scenes go on for really long times when they really shouldn't and also it's shot incredible in incredible close-up so it seems as if the, this guy couldn't get his the five members of his cast in the same room for more than two minutes at a time uh and the story which involves a guy finding a magic stone and then nearly being killed and revived by the stone and then becoming a super hacker who uncovers corporate and government secrets. And then his best friend who kind of looks like the entire uh, lineup of Smash Mouth has conglomerated <laughs> into a single person having troubles with his wife. Uh, and it's just, it's just a, a, a melange of terrible plot lines that don't go anywhere, but does so in kind of the, the gleefully stupid and unbelievably terrible way that the best bad films are made. Uh, and I, I highly recommend it. It's on Amazon Prime in the US. And also, I believe, if you do a bit of searching on YouTube, you can find it pretty pretty easily. And then to uh, take the uh, the bitter taste or the, the uh, joyous taste of that away is the film The Old Dark House, which is a horror film from 1932, a directed by... Uh, James Whale, who directed uh, Frankenstein, and it is essentially just like a lot of the early Universal horror films that weren't necessarily based around pre-existing iconic characters. It's just kind of a a cool mood piece about these people who arrive at a weird house of this kind of dark and strange and twisted family, and there's a lot of kind of eccentric dark humour to it, which is really, really fun to watch, and uh, it's just a really, really hugely enjoyable studio horror from the early 30s which again is also on youtube if you can search for it because a lot of those ones end up uh, in the public domain now and that one is is uh, one of the best mm. get it done everyone the the fateful findings is one that i know that we've tried to screen at five and nine picture show uh, but the director wouldn't play ball but now it's out in the in in the kind of uh, public realm who knows who knows 
I desperately want to kind of see it because it sounds like something that is kind of beyond comprehension, which I like. That's it this week. If you've enjoyed the show, then uh, find us on the iTunes and uh, subscribe and all that stuff. You can also go to our website, which is uh, srspodcast.podbean.com. You can find all the links to Facebook, Twitter, Player FM, and all that good stuff on there. So, yeah, until next time, when I think we've got an artist profile next week, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.